hey, if you are one of those people and life is getting out of control because work is starting to consume who you are, and I don't mean you're working a lot of hours. I mean, your life is starting to become your work. Well, you've tuned in to the right episode. This week, Sherry Eifler and I talk about what it looks like when work and life get out of whack and how to get those things back into perspective on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Unbeatable. Oh, thank you so much for letting me be here. It's great to reconnect. It's yeah, been so long. It's been a long time. I'm glad to be able to talk to you. I do this every time I'm talking to a military family. I always want to say thank you to the Warriors for serving the country, but for military families, thank you for sacrificing all of the sacrifices that you and your family make for our country as well. Thank you. You know, you know, it's a privilege yeah. to serve in that capacity. So thank you. And of course, Sherry, you're a lady that's been on both sides of this equation, having served on active duty in the army, as well as being married to a warrior for many years. Um, you know what both sides of this feels like. Yes, I do. And I think that gives me a little bit of an advantage because I'm able to understand some of the crazy where other um, spouses have a harder time understanding. Yeah, that's probably the perfect word for it. Because if you're going to be married in the military, it's going to get crazy and stay crazy for a long, long time, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you start out wanting to serve in the military? Was it ever like a childhood dream for you? No, actually, I wanted to grow up and be a teacher. And so that's what I went to college for was to become a teacher. And then I ended up being a teacher in a different way. Um, I served as a medical service corps officer and I ended up training my platoon. I was responsible yeah. for training my platoon. And um, so that was a lot of fun. And it's always interesting to see how you start out thinking you're going to do one thing and you land in something else. Uh -huh. And I still say, what am I going to be when I grow up? <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes perfect sense that you'd be doing what you're doing now, um, having grown up wanting to be a teacher. We're going to talk about what you're doing now in just a few minutes. But let's go back to college. Let's go back to the decision while you're a college student in Central Michigan to just go check out the ROTC program, this Reserve Officer Training Corps. Why did you even go take a look at those folks? You know, it was my dad's idea. After my freshman year, he said, hmm, maybe this girl needs some more discipline. Yeah. And um, so we talked to a recruiter. I ended up, I was just going to do reserves and be, you know, learn how to be, get the medical training. Uh -huh. And then my recruiter's like, you're already in college. Just do ROTC. I'm like, oh, okay. And then boom, I found my people. Um, I ended up um getting to go to airborne school as a cadet yeah. and then selected for active duty. So it, and also I found the love of my life. Yeah. My husband and I were in ROTC together and we commissioned together and it's been a love story that just keeps writing itself. I was year about to say, year. when you said you found your people in ROTC, you really did find your air quotes people because you found Brian <laughs> in ROTC, right? I did. <laughs> Tell us how that relationship started. Oh, goodness. It's such a funny story because I didn't, I, I'm 
I just kind of was like, my dad said to go, so I was going. So I show up to ROTC, the first class, and there my future husband is sitting with a briefcase in front of him. And I'm like, what kind of class did I just sign up for? <laughs> what did I get and, myself um, into? <laughs> exactly. But it didn't take long. His leadership and um, just his integrity and honor and humility just drew me in. And um, soon we, you know, it was just fun to just see yeah. how we went. Yeah. Together. For uh, the listener, uh, Brian and I had a chance to serve together. Sherry and I have been around each other and in the same circles for a long time. And you already know this, but I have the greatest respect for your husband. He is a very, very talented leader. Um, I don't know if you could see that while he was still a shiny cadet in high school, or I mean, in, in uh, ROTC in college at Central Michigan, but you guys found each other, you fell in love. And how long into the relationship when you got married? Um, we were just a couple years in. Um, basically, our cadre said, hey, you two are going to be a thing. So you better think about getting married before she goes on active right. duty so you can be stationed together. Yeah. So that's the reason I asked that question. Um, many people, even those that have served in the military that are not married to a military spouse, they don't understand the challenges. So you two graduate from school. You're both commissioned in the United States Army and going on active duty together, which makes marriage really, really challenging because not always do married couples get assigned to the same place at the same time. How did it go for you and Brian right out of the gate? Well, we were fortunate. Our cadre was watching out for us. Um, so we got, um, we were commissioned early back when you could get commissioned before uh -huh. you graduate. He went on active duty um, in between his training. We got married and um, had our honeymoon. Then we spent the first two years of our marriage basically apart. So I had to go back to college, married. I always laugh. I'm like, I was a college student, already a military wife. And you know, already a commissioned yeah, officer yeah. in the army. And there I am. And we owned a house at that point too. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But once I got on active duty, we were both stationed um, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and um, we both had a great opportunities to do amazing things there. And I really enjoyed all of my time on active duty while I was there at Fort Bragg. But then he got selected for the Rangers yeah. and that meant he had to move. And that meant I needed to find right. a job near him. And that was challenging. And that's really what ended up pointing me in the direction of this was not my forever career yeah. because I, we got married to live together. Right. And um, so then I was like, let's do this family thing. Let's right. go. Um, describe those first five years. You were a medical service officer and you already said that you had the opportunity to train your platoon. Um, but just talk about, um, being a leader, being a commissioned officer in the United States army before making the decision to take the uniform off and become a full-time mom. Yeah, it was such an honor because I, I came into a newly forming, um, battalion. Mm -hmm. uh, it was when we first started the area support medical battalions. And so, we were, we were building everything from the ground up. I joked with my kids just the other day. I'm like, yeah, my first office was in a cage and I could have been locked in at any point. Uh -huh. And, um, and, but working with the soldiers, it was such 
it was so refreshing and um, getting to learn their craft because I never did get to go to my medical training as a reserve um, soldier. And so my, um, my uh, commander sent me to EMT school. Well, right. that was when my platoon thought, oh, no, because now she knows what we're supposed yeah. to be doing. So um, it was it was fun to watch them. It was fun to um, build them up and watch them blossom. And I got to send many off to nursing school. And um, it was fun to run into them later on in life when I was outside yeah. of the uniform. Well, you had a chance to to make a first impression on some people. You had a chance to make a big difference on some of those soldiers that worked for you. But now let's turn to the period of your life where you have some hard decisions that you and Brian have to make about both of your careers in the military and starting to have a family. So can you describe for people the decision to take the uniform off and to kind of put your career on hold, not for, for lack of a better phrase, um, because Brian's, uh, there's, uh, he's in a, he's moving to some pretty demanding assignments. Yeah. Well, it was, like I said, we wanted, we got married so we could live together and do life together. And we were at that place where we knew the army was going to send us to Korea. Mm -hmm. And, um, back then women could not serve close right. to the DMZ. So that meant we would not be living in the same area. We didn't know what that was going to look like. And so we just kind of looked at each other and we said, it's been five years. It's been a great experience. And now I think is the time to make sure that we can be together and, you know, move in the direction that we know we knew always we yeah. were going to be moving. So, yeah, um, it's a really, really big deal. I know that, you know that, but maybe some of our listeners don't understand just how big of a deal it is to take the uniform off. It doesn't matter if it's five years or 35 years, because many career warriors, they tie their identity to that uniform and the service that they give to the country. So um, you're actually transitioning from one uh, you know, entire way of life to another. And I, I think because you're a bit of an expert here, Sherry, I'd love for people to hear how you personally went through this identity shift as well. Well, it was difficult because I went from being active duty, wearing a uniform, having a direct purpose every single morning. Somebody was lining up basically what I was going to be uh -huh. doing to, I have all this freedom, but what am I going to do with this? And then I was thrown into, I was going to, I, I went almost directly into being a mom mm -hmm. and, um, and I found myself going, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with all this time? How do I do this? How do I do this? What does this look like? Cause I hadn't been in that place to decide what I was going to do for myself for so long. Now at that place, I did not understand that I was going through an identity crisis. Yeah. So many of us think that identity crisis equals a 50 year old man driving around in, in a, a sports car. car. Yep. And but that's not it. Every time we go through transition, we are set up for an identity crisis. And that's something that I've learned because it took me about 10 years to really recognize that I did not transition well. And I kept on trying to put my, because I, I was so tied to my uniform and what I did that like, I always found myself making sure that everybody knew that I was, I had right. served and yeah. I was Captain Sherry Eichler. And, um, and I was like, what is wrong with me? And then finally, it, 
um, I realized I had never, I was too tied to what I do as who I am. Rather than recognizing who I am as an individual is so important. And that it's me, Sherry, who brings amazing stuff to that platoon that I was serving. And me, Sherry, yeah. who brings amazing stuff to my marriage. It's me, Sherry, who brings amazing stuff to the volunteer positions that I um, choose to, um, you know, take on. And when I realized that, of course, I had to go through, I, I call myself the self-help junkie because that's how I, <laughs> yeah. I, I just went to conference after conference, self-help, self-help, self-help. And then finally, it was when I did the strength finders uh -huh. um, assessment and I realized, oh my goodness, this is who I am. This is why I can walk into a room and turn chaos into nothing because mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm an arranger. And so then it started leading me to what I should be doing and using my gifts to help others and um, appreciate who I am as an individual. Yeah. So you are a transition specialist, and I'm not using this phrase lightly. You help others because you have personally been through this. And I can't help but think there's a spouse right now who's thinking, I'm never going to put my life on hold. I'm never going to make those kind of sacrifices for my marriage. But the truth is, if you want to keep the relationship strong, doesn't matter woman or man, that you may be caught in one of those circumstances where, hey, we're going to have to make some tough choices if we're really going to make this marriage a priority. And those tough choices are going to force you to go through some transition. But transition doesn't have to equal identity crisis. So when you're helping people transition well, how what is what advice do you give them here? Because I think a lot of people Let's be honest, almost 100% of the people that I served with in the military have an identity crisis when they transition in the military or out of the military. Yeah, I, what I always help my clients do is recognize that they have to be able to answer the question, who am I? They have to answer it for themselves. And so I've created a strong core identity process after all my searching, and I discovered that really we have to know what our core values are we have to know what our optimal strengths are and our opinions are. Yeah. We have to know what our um, responsive reactions are and our responsible attention is. And most importantly, we need to understand our esteem and our ego. Once we pull that core in and we recognize and we appreciate the uniqueness of who we are, mm -hmm. then we can transition well because we know it gives you freedom to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. It gives you freedom to set those boundaries to what it is that you need to do. And it also gives you freedom to ask for help yeah. when you need help. And um, I always recommend do it and then revisit it in six months and right. evaluate it. Hey, where am I now? Um, identified some things that I didn't really like about the direction I was going. So how have I done in my growth process? And moving forward. Yeah. And by the way, all of us need to identify again and again how well we're doing at saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And if you're the listener who is tying who you are to what you do, it can get really, really hard really fast. So maybe this is a good time, Sherry, for us to do a little, have a little bit of fun with each other. I do a segment, we call it the high five in this show. The topic that you have dealt with a lot, I have found myself counseling people through is what happens when work takes over. 
and your life is no longer a life. You're now just working and that's all it is. So, uh, we talked about this a little bit before the, the show began. You want to have a little bit of fun here and talk about what life is like when work starts to take over and gets out of control and work starts to become your identity instead of just what you do. It becomes who you are. Yeah. So when that happens, I, I find myself getting agitated. I get highly agitated very easily. And normally people will say, Sherry, you're so patient. You're so calm. But when I start getting agitated easily, I start going, I feel like I am crowded. I like to pull away and have time for myself, believe it or not. Uh And when I start seeing those things happen, then I, I have to, but I have to have the self-awareness to pull back and go, okay, what's going on here? And what can I do? Because sometimes, well, let's just face it. Sometimes it's just something, a season right. that you just have to plow yeah. through. Right. But when you can, but even in those seasons, it's taking those moments to pause. And I like to put into practice the stop practice. It's a um, mindfulness. And so you just literally, you stop. This can take five seconds. All right. Like I'm going to tell you. So stop. I'm going to stop talking and to, listen. Right. And then you just take a deep breath with your whole body. Mm-hmm. Then you observe what's around you, observe how your body's feeling, and then you proceed. But I, because I'm from a faith space, I proceed with prayer. All right. And that that's kind of just a way to just pull yourself back in and say, okay, I've got this. This was the reason why I was getting upset. This is the way I'm going to proceed and, um, and move forward. So that's one of my little things that I like to help people with and do myself. And honestly, because we're having this conversation, I'll tell you one of the items on my list is if you're the kind of person that your family is begging for more of your time and they keep begging for more of your time and you wish you could give them more of your time, but you just don't have more time to give your family, then perhaps work is starting to become more important. It's starting to take over your life. It's starting to become part of your identity. And maybe it's time to take Sherry's advice and to stop and to look at, is this really healthy? Is this sustainable? Um, What's something else that you tell people, Sherry, when their life work starts to get out of whack? Self-care. I know it's a big thing that people are saying, self-care, but it really, it, we need to remember that life was meant to enjoy. Right. It, it was created for our enjoyment. We were created to enjoy life, not to plunge through it. <laughs> and so to take, to, to, to recognize, you, you know, do something that's for you. If it's reading, take, take time to read. It can be just five minutes, right. but you still, you're, you're filling your cup with just a little bit. So whatever it is, if you need to get out in nature, I mean, that's one of the big things that a mm-hmm. lot of people just need to step out into nature and get into nature, running, exercising, whatever your thing is. Remember not to com- continuously sacrifice that part of you. 
but to embrace it and um, take charge. Yeah. And Sherry, as you were talking, I was just thinking of number three on my list. That's the person who decides, I, I'm just going to check my email one more time before I go to bed. And you've been checking your email all day long. And you and I both know by checking your email one more time before you go to bed, it's going to become 45 minutes or an hour before you actually get to sleep because you're now answering that email. And oh, by the way, there's another email and then another email and the emails never stop coming. And pretty soon you don't have a life anymore. It's just about work. So don't answer that email. Don't even look at that email. It can wait until tomorrow. Nothing good is going to happen by checking it before you go to bed because everybody else is trying to go to bed anyway, right? Exactly. It's, it's knowing when to let go. And I think you're exactly right. When we, when we find ourselves constantly looking for the thing, it, it's like, okay, why am I always encourage people to go to reflect. Why do I feel compelled to do this thing? One more thing. Right. Is it, you know, how important is it? And then that's where also knowing who you are, you know, who, what you're good at and who can you, who can you ask for help? I always have to work with spouses mostly uh-huh. on this, but we think that asking for help is a sign of weakness. Really good leaders ask for help right. because they know that they can't do it all on their own. So if you bought into the lie that if you ask for help, you're a weak leader, eh-eh. let's yeah. cut it off today. And that comment has come up over and over again in this podcast. It takes real strength. It takes a really good leader to recognize I have limits and I need help. And to just simply say, I need to help, that's the person that is going to do really, really well versus the guy or the gal who's trying to fake it and act like you got it all figured out when you know, and probably the people around you know, you need a little bit of help. You're just, uh, you just don't have the courage to ask for it. You were actually mentioning uh, right now the fourth item on my list. That's the person that's just breaking their neck, trying to achieve the next level at work. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a pay raise. And they think by getting to that next level, I'll be satisfied and everything will be great. And then you get there and you're not. So you just start breaking your neck for the next level and the next level. And you never actually get air quotes there because what you hoped the next level was going to bring, it didn't bring. Um, which brings me to the last item on my list. That when Here's when you know that work has got out of whack and it's taken over your life. When you know you should be able to, you know you need a vacation, but you're also looking at the mountain of work in front of you and realizing I can't take a vacation. And then you look back and realize I haven't taken vacation in weeks, months, years, because I can't take a vacation. That's when work has got out of control. And it's time to put that part of your life back into its proper place and get it back under control. Um, so let, true. So true. Oh my goodness. <laughs> let's go back to being a full-time mom where it's a 24 seven job for years on end and you never really ever get a break. That's my segment segue here. Did you like that? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and now you're no longer in the army on active duty. Now you're a full-time mom and you're married to an army officer, which means he's going to be gone a lot. And you're going to have to pick up and move from time to time. Can you tell us a little bit about those first few years having babies and, uh, you know, um, transitioning from one assignment to the next? Oh, 
Yeah, well, that first, our first child was born one month before he left for Korea. And so we, I got out because I wanted to be close to him and then I was away from him. But, you know, that's how it, it goes. Was, in the Army. It was okay. Yep. That, that's just how it goes. And so um, I went home, lived with uh, my parents for that first year. But then um, quickly after that, we, we built, our family became three um, and then we came, became five. And we moved a couple different times in the transition was with the younger kids. It was much easier. Yeah. I found once they uh, had friends and could understand that we were moving and leaving friends, it uh, became difficult. But, you know, we kind of took on the uh, the idea that, you know, when we moved, I said we're military missionaries. Right. And so we are going to we are have the blessing of getting to move and get to meet new people and to bless them with, um, you know, our friendship. And we get to learn so much more in life. And, and I was fortunate because when the kids were really young, he, he didn't really go anywhere, uh-huh. but, but still the, the moves were, were challenging. And it always seems like for us, it was like every year to two years, we were boom, boom going. Yeah. And the life of a military family is a challenge to begin with just the time away, but then you start to include all of those moves in there and wow, it really really gets challenging. I've always said military families are so resilient. They're amazing because of just all that they endure and they're able to handle it and able to, you know, keep things going in spite of all of those challenges. So you must have had a difficult assignment or two. We, yes, we did. And um, the most difficult one, it wasn't the first deployment when we when I had all three kids it was the one when we moved overseas so we moved from um all the way to Germany and I will never forget this we I was sitting we were sitting in a hotel room imagine this and it's full of kids suitcases dog and the extra large crate to put the dog in we're (laughs) just hours away from loading up vehicles, not vehicle, but vehicles to go to the airport. And this was before before cell phones. My dad calls and he says, Sherry, all I can see is black and death over you when you get to Germany. What? You pick up a phone in the hotel room and your dad is saying black and death is waiting for you in Germany? Yes. And so I was like, what? And um, so I was like, okay, but in true military spouse fashion, you just go, okay, here we go. And we move back onto the checklist and uh-huh. we pile everyone in the car and that just kind of go, because nobody else heard it. it. Only I heard it. Nobody else knew it. So I had to package it away and deal with it on another time. So fast forward four months later, and we know that my husband's going on deployment. Once we're uh-huh. there, he's going to Iraq. Um, I'm in an, you know, just routine ultrasound and the text repeats, yes lesions on your liver and I'm not kidding you Jeff everything just went blank because now the recording of what my father said is going through my head and there I am I'm like wait a minute you know when the the tech leaves and I'm Uh there I just felt like that slab that I was laying on turned into an altar and I just was like okay Lord whatever you have for me 
And um, it was so scary because lesions, what, what can lesions right. mean? Most yeah. of you are hearing that and going, oh, she had cancer. Yes, that's what went through my head. And um, thank God I didn't. But I didn't know that yeah. for over a month. Okay, so I just need to help the listener understand this moment. You have moved halfway around the world. Um, your family and most of your support is back in the United States. You're in Europe. You have three children, and your husband is deployed or deploying to Iraq. And now you just sat into uh, in the ho- in a military hospital and heard there's something wrong inside you, and it's very possible that you have cancer. Anybody would be devastated by that combination. And then your father's words are ringing in the back of your head. There's nothing but black and death. I see nothing in front of you but black and death. And Sherry, you realize I got to keep this all together because I got three little ones that are looking up up to me. So how do you do it? How do you keep it together when you really want to just fall apart and let everything go? You know, in all honesty, Jeff, it was, it was my faith. It was my relationship with Jesus Christ that kept me from falling to pieces because you said it. I had three little kids that were in the waiting room with my new best friend and her kids. And we had planned a fun day and I had to yet again, like in the hotel room, package it up, stand up and put the smile on my face Uh and say, we're having fun no matter what. But I couldn't have done it if I hadn't one answered the question, who am I and knew who I was and knew who I was in Christ. That was my, that was my anchor at that point. It was like, I can trust. Christ with my life, no matter what, if, if he's going to take me, I can trust him to take care of my family. If he's going to take me, I can trust him to take care of my husband. And, um, I'm not going to lie. It was a very emotional time. And like I said, I didn't know for three months what it was that I actually had. And my husband was about to deploy. So I'm convinced somebody's listening to this episode right now. They've already been to the doctor's office. They've already done the test, but they don't have the results yet. And they're sitting in that in-between period that you had to wait through for three months. And they are beside themselves because of the unknown. How did you rely on your faith? How exactly did your faith get you through those three months of not knowing? Am I going to be around for my, to see my children's next birthday? Yeah. Um, I, I really, it just took me into, um, prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I individually just kind of took it inside myself and was praying like, okay, Lord, what are we doing here? Then I did what I recommend others to do, reached out for help. I asked others to pray with me. Um, because also in this, I can't tell my husband that anything's going on because yeah, he's right. not with me and yeah. I don't know what's going on. And, um, and then I, I literally just started to pick up my Bible and I just started to read because, um, it was in those moments that I had peace and I had to remind myself because my mind wanted to keep going to mm-hmm. the death and darkness. Right. But in reading the, the Bible, it was reminding me that God of God's promises and his promises. And so I just kept on clinging to that in my moments 
where I just wanted to fall apart because yeah. basically I had one person that really knew what was going on at that point in my life. It was strange. Yeah. You have uh, one of the things I love about you, Sherry, is that you have used some of these experiences of life to help others. And you already said that part of what got you through that unknown, scary moments of life is knowing who you are, having your identity settled. So can you spend a moment or two helping the audience hear about uh, how you help others um, settle their identity? Because there are many people that feel like, hey, I think I know who I am. But when they go to describe themselves or introduce themselves, they introduce themselves by what they do, not who they really are. And if they were to stop for a second and find the words to describe who they really are, they may have to work really hard to figure out what those words are. So how would you uh, help people who are struggling with their identity, maybe even going through an identity crisis, start to figure this out? That's an awesome question. Well, I actually have a free assessment that people can go to my website and do, and that can kind of put you, help you determine where you are on no understanding who you are. But really what I do is I just, I do a workshop where I help people or I do coaching, whichever is the best for people. Uh, and I just basically take you through my um, core process, which is to determine, you know, your, your, your core values, your optimate, optimal strengths, your um, rapid responses and responsibilities and um, evaluate your esteem and ego. But I do start out this whole process with asking one question. Where is your hope? Okay. Because we have to be able to answer the question, where, what do you have hope in? What gives you hope in this life? Because I've found that what I'm doing with people is saving lives. And we know that we have an outrageous amount right. of suicide going on. Yeah both in the military population and in our um, civilian population. And most of it is because they don't have hope and they don't know who they are. Right. And so they don't, they don't honor who they are and recognize the, their purpose and their uniqueness that they have in the life of those around them. Um, and so I start with hope and then I bring them through the process. And you're right. Sometimes it is hard to determine what are, what are, what is my uniqueness that unties me from what I do? It's not like we're still not going to answer the question right. by telling somebody our titles. Yeah. But we have to be secure in who we are to be able to not get swayed when life circumstances, like me sitting there going, lesions on your liver. Right. When those circumstances happen, you're secure in who you are. Um, I totally set you up with that question, by the way, just so that people would hear about the Live Your Core uh, content that you have on your website. And by the way, we're going to give people the web address to that later on um, in the notes to this. But I was just thinking, I was in a group of military leaders from all over the all branches of the U.S. military and actually from around the world. And we were getting to know each other first day. And I remember the kind of the, 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 the leader saying, Hey, why don't you guys take a moment and just explain who you are? Describe yourself to one another. I was the last person in the room to talk. And I remember this vividly. Every single person in the room introduced themselves by who they are and, or by what they do and only by what they do. 
There were parents in the room that never mentioned they had children. There were people in the room that had incredible talents and that had lots and lots going for them, but they never, ever talked about it. They only talked about their career. And by the time it got to me, I never mentioned my career at all. I just described two or three things about who I am as a husband, as a father, as a follower of Jesus, and never mentioned my career at all. On break, I had, we started talking and I, I, I uh, learned very quickly. I hope some of those people, leaders in the room learned this as well. Everyone transitions from one career to another or transitions to retirement at some point. And if you've tied your entire identity up in what you do, you're going to be lost when you transition to something else or when you retire. So maybe it's time for you to start figuring out who you are, not really just what you do. Don't, what you do is important, but it doesn't define who you are. Um, and I love the fact that you're helping people um, figure those things out before it's too late, because perhaps some of the suicide rate is when people have been forced to transition and they've lost their identity and now they don't know who they are and they, they don't have hope for the future. Love it. And I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so you now help people um, find their core. You help them to live um, uh, their identity by uh, figuring out who they really are. And you're, you're, you're developing content to include a shiny new book that just came out about three weeks ago. Tell everybody about this brand new book, Royal Reflections, and what you're hoping to accomplish with that um, study guide, basically. Well, thank you for asking. Um, yes, it's so exciting. I can't believe we're already three weeks into this, but Royal Reflections, the making of a warrior princess is actually a women's Bible study and surprise, surprise, it leads us to understanding and solidifying our identity in Christ. And then it moves us into how do we live out this amazing identity that we have? So it has us look at our purpose, how to walk it out. And then we recognize all of the assets that we get and we learn how to put on the armor of God to protect the assets that we have and our identity in Christ because the world does not want us to stand strong in who we are in Christ. I just love the subtitle. I got to go back to this thing. So there's little girls that are grown up here and you've got to be dainty and polite and reserved. And inside them, they know that there's something more. And they are, there is a, uh, they, they've been told they're supposed to be a princess, but they feel this warrior tug inside them. Then there are some ladies who have just developed that warrior side of them. But the princess side of them is very much um, underdeveloped. And so would you describe a little bit just in very, very basic terms, because we're going to tell everybody to go out and get the book anyway. um, But tell everybody, what is this combination of warrior princess look like? Because I love the phrase. Awesome. Um, My husband and I went back and forth on it. So basically princess the Lord works with me with acrostics. So princess is our acrostic that identifies who we are in Christ and all that comes with one powerful prayer. And then the, so we are a princess, but our additional identifier is warrior because we are not meant to sit idle. We are meant to, we're in a battle. We're in a battle for our identity. We're in battle for, um, 
living our life with freedom. And so the warrior comes out in that is knowing that you have authority because every warrior has authority. They're called to stand and they're called to um, protect. Yeah. So for the ladies out there that hear the word princess, what you're saying is you are literally a daughter of the king, basically a daughter of the king of kings that makes you a princess, but you've been called to a battle. It's raging all around you. And because you're in the middle of a battle, that makes you a warrior at the same time, put the two together and you get warrior princess, royal reflections, right? Um, If people want to get a copy of uh, Royal Reflections, where can they find it? They can find it and on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart online. And then you can also go to my website, SherryEisler.com and just click books and it'll take you right directly to where you can get it. And, and if so. they want more information about your masterclass or about some of the content that you have, uh, is your website the best place to go or how else can they find you? Yes, my website is the best place to go. Right when you come up, you have your choice of how you want to connect with me. But also, if you want to follow my ministry on uh, Facebook or Instagram, Facebook is Sherry Eisler Wright, and Instagram is just Sherry Eisler. And we'll put links to all of those in the notes. So if you're driving right now and listening to this episode, when you get done and when you get stopped, just take a look at the notes and you'll see the links to her website and to her Facebook and Instagram page. Um, Sherry, let's just wrap this episode with this up. Let's say that you're, you're somebody was listening today and they're struggling right now with an identity crisis and they don't know where to turn. There's a mountain of work in front of them and they don't even know what's the next step to take. Can you give them just one piece of very practical advice to start to get their life back under control and no longer identify who they are with what they do? Can you give them just one piece of a practical advice as we wrap up? I think the simplest thing to do is to pull out a piece of paper and to just take a moment to reflect and write down the things that are most important to you. And that's a good place to start. And then just talk to someone. Be, be proactive for yourself. Get somebody that you can talk to, either a coach or um, somebody that you trust. And um, let them know how you're feeling. And then also just remember you can do the free assessment and then you get free downloads and all sorts of stuff for help, initial help. Yeah. And basically what you're hearing from Sherry is you don't have to figure this out on your own. In fact, don't try to figure it out on your own. And if you just want nothing more than just her free assessment, you can find that um, on her website. Sherry, thank you for spending a few minutes with me and being part of the Unbeatable podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you around. All right. If you heard something in this episode about your life and you're starting to realize, man, I can't take a vacation and I'm checking my email all day and all night long and I'm working my fingers to the bone, hoping for the next promotion because maybe then my life will get back under control. Maybe you need to take Sherry's advice. Take out a piece of paper and write down the answer to this question. What do you hope for your future? And if you need some help, 
start to reach out to some people around you and get some help so that you can get your life back under control. You don't have to let work dominate your life. Hey, thank you for joining me for this episode of Unbeatable. I hope you've learned a lot from Sherry Eifer like I have. Listen, one more episode and we're going to tell you the fan favorites for the first year of Unbeatable. Next week is our one year anniversary. And if there was a moment over the last year that you really, really loved, we want you to tell us about it. Go ahead and Send us your favorite moments from the first year of Unbeatable on social media. We're going to put all of those moments together. And the very next episode of Unbeatable will tell you the fan favorites, your favorite moments during this first year of this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you're joining us for the first time, why don't you go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast channel if you've been listening for a while. Why don't you rate us and go ahead and follow us on social media. And I'll see you right back here next week for the very special Fan Favorites episode on Unbeatable.